Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, the Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Welcome to episode 145 of the Average Cheese Podcast. It's the whole family for episode 145. Thanks to Rhonda and the folks at RNM Management. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. And thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. Peter, it is episode 145. 45 is Danny Vitale. <laughs> it's certainly one of those numbers that isn't one of the, you know, one of the numbers that leaps out off the page at you for past Packer players. And it could easily have been the Emlyn Tunnell episode. Tunnell's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I played three years for the Packers at the end of the 50s, beginning of the 60s, but really made his name as a 10-year player with the New York Giants. He had 79 career interceptions and 74 of them came as a Giant. So really, I kind of he's more of a Giant for me than he is a, a Packer, although he played very well for three years for Vince. I delved back into the 1970s for a cornerback by the name of Perry Smith, who wore number 45 and played for the Packers for four seasons, from 1973 to 1976. So he was, uh, like I say, he was a cornerback. He also played some running back in college at Colorado State and was drafted by the Raiders, I think, in the fourth round of the 1973 draft. And he was kind of a lanky kind of corner at 6'1", nearly 200 pounds at 4'5 speed, but never made it with the Raiders and was was picked up off waivers by by the Packers prior to the 1973 season. Eventually became the starter midway through 1973 when Willie Buchanan, who we've talked about on previous episodes, was the starting corner, a great corner for the Packers, broke his leg and Smith started the final seven games of that 1973 season. Lost his starting job, understandably, when Buchanan came back in, in 1974. But then in 75, Buchanan suffered a second broken leg early in the 75 season. And Smith again stepped in to start at corner and he started the remaining 12 games of that season. It's a 14-game season. And that was probably the best season of his pro career. He intercepted six passes, which led the Packers and was seventh in the entire NFL. And he also had 64 tackles from the corner spot. So had a really good year, like I say, in, in, in 75. And then in 76, he moved to the right cornerback's spot when Buchanan came back again. And he started 13 of the 14 games, had one interception, 49 tackles, played a bit of special teams. And that was pretty much the end of his short career in Green Bay for four seasons. 76 was his last year. He was then traded by, by Bart Starr to the St. Louis Cardinals for a third-round draft choice which the Packers used to pick Turdell Middleton. And Middleton would go on to be a 1,000-yard rusher for the Packers. And Perry Smith finished out his career playing three more years with the Cardinals and a couple with the Broncos. For his career, he played 47 games for the Packers, started in 32, had seven interceptions, as we talked about. But like, you know, all the guys in that era, he played predominantly on Packers teams which struggled. In the four years he played, they went 5-7-2, 6-8, 4-10, and 5-9. 
you know, the most outstanding period in Packers history in terms of team. That was it. So I just thought we would delve back to somebody that probably, you know, many of the listeners perhaps won't have, won't, won't have heard of, Harry Smith. I, for one, have never heard of him either. So not just the listeners this week, Peter, dropping into the Wayback Machine and, of course, spitting knowledge that <laughs> at least I didn't know. Slices. I don't know if you guys saw this, but it is likely that Aaron Rodgers will come to Lambeau Field next year and play against the Packers. The last place team in the AFC East will play the last place team in the North and vice versa. So if you're in the same spot in the AFC East as the team in the North, that's where you end up. The Packers are in second last in their division. The Jets are in second last in their division. We could inch past the Vikings, though. That's true. They're going to play to each other tonight. Bears-Vikings, so someone's going to lose. Who do we want to win that game? Bears. Got to be the Bears, isn't it? Uh, as, as, much as, as much as that pains us, <laughs> it's, got, it's, it's, it, it's got to be the Bears, isn't it? For, and for, for the season's well, sake, right, and we think we're going to maybe make the playoffs, that's the way to do it, right, is to inch past the... Fact that, the fact that we're even cons- talking about the playoffs is... I think the other thing from a Bears perspective is they're already likely to have possibly the number one overall pick with the Panthers pick. So I wouldn't mind the Bears winning an odd game here and there to move their own pick pick away. Yeah. Yeah. Further down, further down the draft. Else they could end up with like the number one and number three overall picks or something crazy. Not to keep going down the rabbit hole, but I mean, when you look at the strength of schedule, what the Packers have left, a lot of those are winnable games. I mean, we could go 10 and seven. What was our prediction on the year? I think I had four. Four wins? I think so. I had 10. 10 wins. Really? Dale the Optimist at that point. <laughs> I, I don't am... remember, but <laughs> even the fact that we're talking about, like, they have a shot, like, they're in the hunt for a wild card, and looking at the strength or lack thereof, a lot of these games are winnable. You look at it, and past this Kansas, once they get past this Kansas City game, they've got, you know, the Giants and Tampa Bay and Carolina and Chicago, and I've missed somebody, but Minnesota. Those are all winning all games. Minnesota's got to play Detroit twice. True. I mean, I, I even think the Packers can, well, we'll get to this, but I think they can beat the Chiefs. Let's get to this at the end of this episode. <laughs> I was going to say, and while we're on the subject of draft picks, and we mentioned Carolina, Frank Wright got fired today, head coach of the Carolina Panthers. That must have happened like this afternoon, yeah? My only beef with that is, did he pick the quarterback from Alabama? Because is and, it and, his fault that that kid can't, I mean, right now can't play? Well, and therein lies the question. And, and you know, every quarterback that Frank, you know, and they, this was talked about a lot around the draft time, you know, every quarterback that Frank Reich has worked with, either as a head coach or as assistant coach, has been a big guy, 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", quarterbacks. So the, so it was always assumed that that's what he, his preference would be. And they end up picking Bryce Young, who's five foot ten and a quarter. We can talk about Bryce Young at another time. But yeah, Frank Reich, that was a weird situation. He came right off of getting fired, got another job. I don't know. They're terrible. So hard to argue with him getting fired. When was the last time two NFL head coaches got fired during the season? Doesn't usually happen. Right. And the Steelers got rid of Matt Canada as their offensive coordinator, too. So there are guys hitting the chop. They're, They're getting chopped off right now. They're not waiting. And the Steelers have a winning, a decent record. Their <laughs> offense looked better too. Did you watch that game at all? 
I thought their offense was a lot more crisp. I don't know what that is. I'm not saying it's Matt Canada's replacement being better or if it's just like fresh eyes. Buffalo moved on from Ken Dorsey right a couple of weeks ago. Buffalo played super well in the game against the Eagles yesterday. That They did play well in that. That was a game that you felt like they should have won. Yeah, and they, they should they, have. They, And they must have racked up the best part of 500 yards of offense in that game. I saw they're talking about Sean McDermott getting fired. Everybody wants to win right now, but you're going to have a stumble here and there. I think it's ridiculous to fire a coach who's won a bunch of games. I mean, we're talking about LaFleur. It's the same thing, right? You, you can't give them half of a season that they haven't played well and fire guys. That makes no sense to me. What else? Is it time to extend Jordan Love, Todd? Why are you going to put that on me? Because I already know how I feel. I know how Peter feels. He, he's transparent as hell about Jordan Love. Well, what's the current contract? This year and next year. I think it's a little early for that, but it's trending that way. There's no question about that. I don't know. Like I said, I mean, this is his first year actually playing. Let's give it a little bit more time. What happens if you give it a little more time and he plays his ass off? He costs you more money. I mean, I don't know that that's a problem, right? You're going to pay the man whatever you're going to pay the man. I'm just saying, like, and if he goes the rest of the season and all of a sudden he starts going backwards from where he is today, maybe you have to second guess it. I think the positive thing for him is he hasn't. I don't think he's taken any steps backward. I think he's made some mistakes, but there's the trend is everything is upward. He hasn't really, do you know what I'm saying? Like, he, I he do. Just, so then why not extend him? Yeah, right now, I, my point would be like, let, let's wait to the end of the season. Let, let's get through the season. Too much of a distraction. Let's sort out what, what other needs there are on the team, where the big pot of money is at. Okay, that's that kind fair. Of thing. The reason for asking the question is obviously where he's trending. But with Aaron Rodgers, you know, his first starting year was 2008. They extended Aaron Rodgers on the 1st of November, 2008. So roughly the same time scale they gave Rodgers an extension. That's interesting. And that's why Peter is on the show. There's like 8 million reasons. There it is again. Todd and I would never have known that shit. Ever. No. And no. I just realized I don't have my swear jar. Oh, what shit. the heck? I got you. How, oh. how many was that? Two. <laughs> Done. Thank you. We're going to your, ne- your next question about Matt LaFleur coming off the field at halftime. I have to admit, I thought Matt LaFleur looked good getting yards after contact. Yeah, that guy. That guy never got a clean hit on him. So I, I thought that was. <laughs> I thought he was showing pretty good form there. I could only assume that the guy, for at least a split second, didn't recognize who he was. For me, there's two things. Uh, I work in security, so I can shed some light on what I think about that interaction at, from a security perspective. I felt as though this was a major turning point in Lafleur's career. I think he's finally cut complete ties with. All the aftermath of Aaron Rodgers was super aggressive in this game. I think he was angry. He he coached angry. He was willing this team to win. And I think that sprint off the field was a indicative of his entire mantra of coaching. It was I, I really felt like he had a increased energy of some sort. I, I don't even know what to call it. When you saw him sprint off the field, I was like, he was jacked up. And ready to like get in that locker room, fire these guys back up, get back out on the second half, and close the door on the fucking Lions. Now, the security guard is a fucking idiot. That's called severely undertrained personnel who are literally 
being paid to just stand around like that guy has no fucking business i don't even know what he was trying to do you know to be honest did, did he think that was a, a fucking drunk fan running i think he did it was halftime and the guy's <laughs> running to the fucking tunnel right. drunk fans do not number one storm the field at halftime to run to the fucking t- oh, tunnel they run across with their fucking shirts off or whatever and make an ass out of themselves. That's what they do. They don't do that shit. <laughs> I don't know what what the fuck he was doing. <laughs> but he was just a fucking complete idiot. Is he fired if oh Todd was god. running that? Oh my god. He was fucking gone. At probably right there on the spot. If it was me and I was managing that whole security apparatus, gone. Turn your fucking jacket in and everything else. See ya. Pack. Pack your shit out of the stadium. Gone. Escorted out. Done. Immediately. You, you wouldn't even that let him finish fun. the game? I thought, I thought LaFleur was going to turn around and jack him. I mean, <laughs> he, he did was, have a look oh, at his face. Oh, like, what the fuck? Fucking pissed. <laughs> so I'm just thinking about Todd's all-time team. He's now got a security guy on his, old, on his all-time team. I do. <laughs> Great point. And coaches, and this is going to be spectacular when that yes. comes out. That's happening, oh, summer, summer of 2024, friends. I will I decide on my defensive coordinator? You will have co-defensive coordinators for sure. Co. There are going to be like three of them. Papers, Patton, and Barry. Yes, all three of them. I knew it. Love it. Okay, let's get on to this amazing game. Thanksgiving yes. not ruined by the Packers. I can't believe it. We all picked them to lose. Wrong. I thought Peter was going to pick them to win. I think he wanted to. I wanted to. I just couldn't quite. I couldn't quite bring myself to do it because I just I just thought Detroit would put up too many points if I was really honest. But uh, let's just let's go general thoughts, Peter. Let's start with you. General thoughts about Packers Lions on Thursday. Clearly, it was a, it was an outstanding performance, an outstanding win by the Packers. I think that as the game went on, certainly for the first two and a half quarters, well, the way the Packers started was so good, and and to get ahead in games, you know, they played so many games from behind. You know, even if it's just. Seven points behind or 10 points. They seem to have been playing behind for most of the season. This week, they came out hot, stayed hot for most of the game, kept their noses in front. And yeah, I mean, a spectacular, unexpected victory. It really was. Lots of guys stepped up that we're going to talk about, but lots of guys made plays. Dad thoughts? What they give up? uh, Was it 464 yards? Yeah, they gave up a buttload. We can talk about that later. A buttload of yards, but the pressure that they got on Goff, and the three turnovers that they they caused on defense was the turning point of the uh, of the entire game. Offensively, I like the fact that I keep repeating myself as like this was Jordan Love's best game in his career. From the last time I said that, this one supersedes it again. I mean, this was again a super poised, confident, under control. So many things that he he did well, and I really felt as though he commanded the offense and and the defense while they were letting up yards. They made plays. Rashawn Gary, just out of his mind in this game, out of his freaking mind. He was unfucking believable in this game. My general thought is pretty simple. This is what it looks like when you play from ahead. You dictate the terms of the game. You can do different things. Teams have to then speed it up and do things that they're not used to. And that's why we won this football game. To me, it was that simple. Speaking of good, Todd, you already talked about Jordan Love. Peter, that you have this in the, the, the notes, right? The throw to Heath. No, you, I put no, that that's yours. <laughs> Look at you. That this was 
stupid. I mean, Aaron Rodgers-ish, or maybe it's Jordan Love. Love-ish. Yeah. Maybe it's Love-ish. That was incredible. And you're just going, no, yes. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, forget it. That was a great catch. It was one of those. That throw was absolutely mind-blowing. Peter, your favorite good on offense from Thursday's game? It probably wasn't the, the, the best throw of the game, but the first throw of the game down the field to Christian Watson. Watson made the catch, and I think that set the tone. That was my favorite play of the game, even though it probably aesthetically wasn't the best throw. And getting Christian Watson involved in something other than the long ball and establishing that early set the tone. I don't understand. How do I say this? There was someone on Twitter who was like, oh, we need to stick with the best five guys we have on the offensive line and then just run them out there all the time. The problem with that this year is you don't have a right guard who is significantly better than the second guy. You know what I'm saying? Like the left tackle spot, Walker and Nyman are the same fucking guy. I think you do what you're doing and you put a fresh guy out there when a fresh guy needs to go out there. So should Sean Ryan get more snaps? Yeah, because he's about on par with Runyon. Do I think that Nyman and Walker should get equal snaps? Yes. I don't give a fuck whose ego gets bounced in the process. Run the best guy out there. Run the fresh guy out there. That's how I see it, at least for this season. Runyon won't be back next year. You don't re-sign that guy. No. And I think that's another reason why over the coming weeks you have to start playing Ryan a little bit more. Providing they're about the same level, you don't play a lesser guy to give him snaps for next year, but when they're about the same level, which they appear to appear to roughly be this this year, then then I think you've got to you've got to start playing Ryan a bit more. And with similar situations you've just described, Dale, to what's happening at, at left tackle. And if it's, one guy gets hot, if one guy plays, then you're playing. Um pass protection. Even when you watch the abbreviated version, Jordan Love had all the time in the world to stand back there. He was flushed out of the pocket, I don't know how many times, not many, but he had a lot of time to throw. Offensive line did great. Run game is a different, and that maybe that segues into the bad. We're still not running the football consistently. No. You really have to add the quarterback spot in there to get a decent yards per game. And yards per carry. And really, it was that one Jordan Love run where he... That was a great play call, by the way. It was unreal. That's something that... I mean, I'd, I call for that all the time from my couch. Like, we need to get him out in space. Not just to run it, but get him out in space. And why... You know, we don't do the quarterback sneak very well in Green Bay right now. And we obviously can't hand the ball off up the middle. So... You know, sometimes you got to let your athletic quarterback get out there with a couple options to throw. Can he run and throw... I, I don't know. That seems like a no-brainer. And he did the right thing. He sensed that he was going to go down. Maybe it was going to be a strip of the ball. He didn't want to get hurt. He made all the right decisions and took it and slid down. There's five minutes left. There's no reason. You know, he knew he was going to get tackled, right? They, those DBs chased him down. He could sense it. And he, he made the right decision. I'm going to I'm going to take a slide. Let the clock keep running. Don't get out of bounds. Don't risk a fumble. We've got this game. Let's maintain possession. We've got a first down. That's all like quarterback management. 100%. I mean, that whole play was all about getting the first down. Anything after that was a bonus. Stay in bounds. Keep the clock running. Don't get hurt. Carry on. Yep. It was, yeah, extend yeah, him. <laughs> <laughs> this game, 
felt like it was in hand in the second half, to me at least. And I have not felt that way in a game this season yet. But we still only scored six points in the second half. That's a problem. You talk about complimentary football all the time. You hear it all the time on the TV. You need to keep you need to sustain a drive or two in the second half and score to be well, good they had teams. that. They had that really bad miscommunication between him and Dylan on the fourth and one. I think that's on Dylan. I thought it was on love. Oh, really? I don't know. I mean, that that was just my, I thought he turned the wrong way, but I could be wrong. I mean, Dylan could have ran the wrong way. I'm not the guy calling the plays. Let's move to defense. Peter, your guy, I'm calling your guy, Carl Brooks, is better than anyone could have imagined. Now, I don't he doesn't get 45 snaps in a game, and he's probably never going to at his size, but he had the second highest PFF grade in a game where Rashawn Gary wrecked the entire game and was just <laughs> dominant. So Carl Brooks was amazing in this game, too. How is that happening, Peter? How How is Carl Brooks, how is he this good? Wasn't he a six-round pick? Yeah, well, I mean, he was a good good fifth-round pick. Uh, you- Fifth, can't remember, can't remember now. He was one of those guys when you watched Bowling Green or whoever that was. Sometimes in those games, one guy stands out, and he stood out nearly every time you watched him play. Now, you had to understand the, who they were playing against and, and, and all of that. So it's an explosive first step, and he shoots the gap. Disrupts stuff. Carl Brooks is more of an explosive player. Like you say, lacks the size of some of the other guys, but it's more of an explosive player and will disrupt plays, will make plays. And I think that's the that's the thing that you're looking for, particularly the guy that's a backup. So he's only going to play 20, 30 snaps. I don't know how many played in this game. I think a few more. You know, you're looking for a guy that's going to make plays. And to be fair, I think the other guy, Colby Wooden, has been absolutely better than I expected him to be. My issue with, with him was always about, is he an outside linebacker? Is he a lineman in, in, in the NFL? But he's been good as well. Moving on. You said it already, Todd. Rashawn Gary, and this is against Taylor Decker. Rashawn Gary wrecked a very good tackle, not Rashid Walker or that level guy. This is Taylor Decker. Rashawn Gary, he was wrecking every play, it seemed like, for a a five or six play stretch. This is probably one of the top offensive lines in the NFL. Rashawn Gary was out of his mind in this game, but let's also give credit to the rest of the defensive line, the 33 pressures on 78 plays. When you do that, other things are going to start to happen. You know, you had Jonathan Owens out of nowhere um, making the most of his playing time. Being heads up enough to like pick that ball up and go in the end zone. Yeah, when everybody's standing around. When everyone's fucking standing around, like looking at each other, he picked the ball up and went in the end zone. Touchdown. Yep. Game changer. Yes, he has some moments that weren't so good this year, but he appears to be a player that is rising up, making the most out of his playing time, and has a nose for the football. There was a blocked field goal. He ended up with the ball there, you know, and returned it up like 20 yards or something. But like he he seems to have that trait of, of a defensive player who seems to be around the loose ball all the time. Peter, what about the bad? Or is there more good you want to talk about before we move on? We've covered most of the good. I mean, I thought the Packers played pretty well against the run, although I thought the Lions gave up on the run way too early. Because I actually thought coming into this game that, that the Lions would run the football and run the football until the till the Packers could stop them and then and then play action pass off off the run. But I thought the Packers played the run reasonably pretty well, even though they gave up four point eight yards of carry or whatever it was. The run never 
never beat them and that was the thing that really scared me coming into this game the bad or the or the ugly i'm not quite sure which it is and i kind of understand it's all about situational football and it's the context of the game and when stuff happens but you just knew that when the lions got the ball late in the game with four and a half minutes or whatever it was to go you just knew that they were going to go down and score but there was never in any doubt in my mind that they were going to move the ball and score. My big fear was that they would recover the onside kick and score again and score a two-point conversion to win the game. Whilst defensively it was good for the majority of the game, as Todd said earlier, they still gave up more than 460 yards in a live game. So those are not garbage yards. Those are live game yards. And that's a heck of a lot of yardage to, to give up. The turnovers were the thing that made the Packers' defence so great in this game. Because if you look at Goff's numbers, take the fumbles away, his passing numbers were damn good in this game. I'm still concerned about the ease in which a team can score when they have to score. Great average, like over five yards a play. I just look at it, and I said this before, if you're not playing from ahead, you can't beat a good oh, yeah. team right now. Yeah. I don't see Dan Campbell as the guy that has to prove he's the smartest guy in the room. Like when you hear him talk, he doesn't pretend to be some kind of guru. But I feel like he coaches that way. That fake punt deep in their own end, that's fucking yeah. stupid. It's unnecessary. I think it's a turning point in Dan Carpenter's maturity as an NFL coach. In his press conference afterward, he was like, that was my fault. No shit, jackass. I think he was still in the mindset of like, that is what got us here. Like, that's kind of what got them there. But like, dude, you you guys have moved on past that. You guys have matured. You guys are actually a good football team. Coach it like a good football team, not a team in desperation. Peter, any other bad and ugly on defense before we move on to special teams? Nothing off the top of my head. Okay. Special teams. So I know I've become the Dan, the Whelan fanboy of this podcast, but I really like what that guy does. This game was a different game punting. He was, you know, the Packers were playing sort of a field position game once they got ahead and he was able to all four of his punts inside the 20, making it a long field for Detroit to have to move down to score. Two of which were inside the 10. He's a top 10 punter as far as PFF scores go right now. Someone batted it back. Yes. Didn't they? A new guy, Rochelle, grabbed that punt and and batted it back. back And they they downed it on like the four or five yard line. Not even the five, like three or four, right? Yes. Todd's favorite special teams coach who keeps taking Todd's job away. He is. Holy smokes. Anders Carlson is hard to watch. He's hard to watch. I did not know, and you must have put this in the notes, Peter, that he tore his ACL and his MCL in college. That was me. Todd, you are coming up with the knowledge, sir. I'm coming up with some. Oh, man. Coming up with some juice. I am not going to assume it was Peter anymore. I'm just going to assume it was you. The juice. Yes. Well, no, I don't want I don't want that. Do not want that nickname. Let's put it that way. (laughs) For obvious reasons. Yes, no. you don't you don't want that smoke. Bumping around the internet, and there was a small. I was actually just looking up his season season stats because I, I couldn't remember how many extra points he missed and how many field goals he missed. He missed he's missed four field goals. He's missed three extra points in the last three weeks. He's missed an extra point in each of those games. And there was like a small like I don't know like a, a video or something that was playing on the side on the right side of the screen. 
And I was like, what is that? And it said something to the effect of like, when you get knocked down, you have to like get back up or, or it was something like that. And I was like, is that Anders Carson? Kind of like clicked on it and stuff. And it showed him, I think he was at Auburn. And they showed like this, uh, the, the actual play where, where he was injured. It was an onside kick. It was a center, like down the middle. It wasn't like an onside kick where you kick it to the sideline. I mean, he got his left leg caved in half. I mean, it was, it was brutal looking in which he tore his ACL and MCL. Now, granted, it's his plant leg. I get it. It's not his actual kicking leg, but either of your legs, no matter if you're a punter or a kicker, they, they both matter. Does it excuse his misses? Peter says no. But every kick now looks like an adventure. Yep. When you start missing those extra points, but you always then start chasing that extra, that extra point, that point either comes back to bite you or you, have, or you start chasing it. And that's what the Packers did in this game. They went for the two-point conversion after one of their touchdowns because they'd missed the previous extra point. Yeah. They then didn't yeah. get the two-point conversion, and now you've got now you're two points less than what you should have had. Right. And in a game that ended up as a seven-point game, that could make all the difference. When a kicker's going through, let's say, you know, a difficult time, who in the coaching staff is expert enough to help them through that period? Right, because because if the team's all in on Anders Carlson, and you have to assume as a draft pick they still are, who's the expert that can help them through that level of technique that needs to be looked at through that period? I don't I don't know. That's a good question because I would guess that special teams coordinators throughout the league, none of them are kickers. Well, they've got to have assistants who you would think, right? You would, but I don't think there is. I'm trying to think of, so I started looking at all the other teams that we play and at their rosters, you don't see like the Mason Crosby as the special teams coordinator. It's usually some athlete who played on special teams, but he wasn't a kicker or punter. I cannot think of one kicker or punter on any coaching staff that we've I've looked at. Anything else before we move on? The fake punt. That was, it almost looked like the Packers knew it was coming. It was Van S, Brooks, Cox, and I'm probably leaving someone else out. That was an unbelievable play. I thought for sure we were going to get caught with our pants down on that one. They had it read the entire way. That could have really changed the entire landscape of this of, of the outcome of this game. Okay. Yeah. So thanks for listening to episode 145 of the Average G's podcast, the Perry Smith episode. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Go pack, go.